This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of CNT Talk. Um, I do want to read off Tony's name, Fair-Minded Emoji. I think I like that one the best so far. Not a bad one. I mean, there's been other ones that, that actually somewhat makes a little bit of sense. Um, not completely, but never know. Uh, I titled this episode, Katie Bar the Door. Um, and I think you probably know why. If you don't out there, go look it up. It's a phrase from the past. Uh, your thoughts on uh, A.G. Barr's testimony or lack thereof because he wasn't allowed to speak at all. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to reclaim my time. No, no I'd like to reclaim my time. Um, it, it's to me, <laughs> my quick impression was they really didn't want to give him a chance to speak. They wanted to say what they wanted to say and then maybe get a soundbite from him that kind of really chat. That's, that sounds, that sounds like a very cynical thing for you to say. You mean, you actually believe that the entire production was a farce from the beginning and they had no intention of allowing the attorney general of the United States to actually speak. And they were more interested in grandstanding to their slavering base. Is that, is that what you're saying? Possibly. I mean, not to be outdone, uh, Jerry Nadler, I guess portended the fact that he was in a car accident on the way to the hearing uh, was ambushed or shouldn't say ambushed. He was questioned a couple days earlier about Portland and called it a myth that there's riots and it's not peaceful protesters. Even when clips were shown, no, 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 that's not really happening. That's fake. Literally in the, in the hearing. I think, I mean, if you read the recall, the, the, um, News reports from USA Today or from CNN or from any of those normal places. Barr was in league with Trump. He's using his uh, stormtroopers to destroy democracy in the United States. But that's not what I heard. What did you hear? If you, I don't know, you probably didn't watch the whole thing. Well, first of all, I, I want to make clear I, I didn't bother watching any of it because I knew exactly what kind of circus it was going to be completely pointless. Um, I did watch uh, the relevant clips of sections of, of the testimony. And I also read the transcript of Barr's introductory statement. And I mean, frankly, Barr gets my eternal admiration for being able to sit there in front of those buffoons and, and put up with that uh, complete waste of time. I thought to be honest, the most, telling, although unsurprising parts of it, were when Barr asked questions that you would think uh, in a normal society and normally functioning political party would have been very easy to answer, such as, um, when did it become okay to set federal courthouses on fire? And is there anybody here that's going to stand up and oppose looting, rioting, and arson? Deafening silence. Uh, not a single member, a Democratic member of the panel, had anything to say about that. Uh, I also thought it was telling when Barr, after they, you know, Nadler went on and on with his fairy tale about how 
you know, Barr is in his black Zeppelin uh, hovering over, you know, African-Americans as federal agents are snatching them to black sites. And Barr made the point, he said, can any of you point out a single member of the so-called opposition that this DOJ has indicted? And of course, that hasn't happened. And one of the other things they attacked him about was Trump's uh, recent commutation of Roger Stone's sentence, which they somehow laid at Barr's feet. And Barr made the point, uh, well, actually, we're the ones that recommended that he be charged. What Barr pointed out was this is a nearly 70-year-old man who was a first-time offender who was being charged with a process crime and who was given initially a recommended not seven or eight year jail term, which was outlandishly out of proportion with any similar sentencing for equivalent crimes. And so they had initially then recommended, which by the way, the Obama appointed decidedly liberal judge who was in charge in the case agreed with Barr's recommendation that the sentencing was excessive and be reduced. And Barr opposed Trump's decision to further commute the sentence. So somehow, now remember too, and I, I mean, I, again, none, none of this is intended to be taken seriously. These people are beyond, are beyond lampooning. But the accusation that Barr is this lickspittle who is out there on behalf of his majesty, right? Just at his doing his bidding, shredding the constitution. Do you remember what the classic Eric Holder quote was about his relationship with Obama? Can you remind the audience of what that was? I believe it involved wingman status. <laughs> That's right. So you have uh, a clearly the more statesmanlike responsible upholder of justice, beholden to no one, Attorney General Eric Holder, literally saying, I'm President Obama's wingman. And that was accepted with, you know, hosannas and golf applause. And yet somehow now Attorney General Barr is uh, an, a, a shadowy, nefarious operative, a puppet of the bad orange man. Well, I, I think you missed two key parts of the difference. Um, bad orange man is orange and not black. And his attorney general is also white and not black. So therefore that's how this Congress seems to react. If, if you're a Democrat and you're, or you're African American, then you're fine. If you're a Democrat, if you are white and orange, then obviously you cannot be anything but evil, simply evil incarnate. Well, the other point that you made at the beginning and I think this is now bears repeating, which is you probably saw the introductory comments by Jim Jordan, yes. Republican, who then hilariously played about an eight minute video, which the beginning 40 seconds was uh, just one after the other of the left wing talking heads repeating the phrase peaceful protest, peaceful protest, you know, from Cuomo, all the people on CNN, Rachel Maddow, Obama, all of them in their, you know, their practiced sloganeering. And then after that, he showed eight minutes of uninterrupted video of armed insurrection, 
arson, looting, assault, attempted murder from the variety of places where this has been ongoing for basically the last two months. And here's, here's the point is there are now people like Jerry Nadler, uh, supposed leaders, politicians in the democratic party who will look at that footage and say to your face, it's a myth. It's not happening. That's not really violence. And so we, we've gotten to the point where the gaslighting is so overt and brazen that it's clearly intentional, that, that they have now decided that they don't even care how ridiculous they look. They're going to stare you in the face and tell you, no, no, that, that's not a photograph of uh, a police precinct on fire. That's a birthday party, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's to the point now where they are so... Um, they, they feel that they can act with such impunity. And I actually think it's intentional. I read something very interesting. It was an analysis of what life was like under Soviet communism. And I forget who said it, but the point the author was making is that the lying, the, the counter reality lying, okay, is intentional because there is nothing worse, not just to lie to someone, but to force that individual to accept and repeat the lie. It is a psychological tactic, right? That that was sort of the point of Orwell's book 1984 as well, which it wasn't just that the, the totalitarian government was lying to the populace. It was forcing the populace to accept and repeat the lie, right? And I think at the end of the book, Winston Smith, that's, that's what it says, is he had learned to love basically what he was instructed to believe, even though he fundamentally knew that everything about it was false. And that's really what the Democratic Party is doing right now, is staring at you and saying, pay no attention to the burning buildings and the bricks and the bats spiked with nails and this SUVs running over police. What you're really watching here is a bunch of people holding hands and dancing around the Kumbaya tree. And that's apparently their tactic now. There's a there's a little marketing thought that it takes 18 times to change somebody's mind. You have to repeat a message 18 times. This is more than 18 times, but how much of people actually heard? If you repeat it often enough and repeat the same words over and over and over, eventually people can't quite tell if it's real or they imagine it. I, I just read a study that said imagine or um if you have a memory of something, even if it didn't actually happen, it feels almost as real to you as if it did. So if somebody can get you to believe something closely enough, you will think it happened to you even though it did not. So if the gaslighting you speak of, everything we hear on a daily basis, this is peaceful, this is peaceful, this is peaceful. Contrary to all evidence uh, shown to you, I don't know if you saw this last Tonight, this this just came out tonight. So the Wall of Moms in in Portland. Uh, This is a group of women who said, we're going to stop you from attacking the protesters. Ostensibly, it was to protect the Black Lives Matter protesters. Uh, If you look at the signs around there, there's very few Black Lives Matter signs. There's quite a few other signs. The 1%, kill the rich, F the police. Uh, But these mothers are out there to protect them. Uh, Came out today that the Black leadership of wall of moms is opposed to the white leadership who's filed for nonprofit status with the state of Oregon. So they've split because they now realize, wait a minute, you're here for 
your purposes, not our purposes. And I say that because today I read an article where they, this gentleman was talking about the fact that the federal troops were going to leave Portland, but he said, there's no ceasefire. These people were, their, their never intention was about Black Lives Matter. It had nothing to do with Black Lives Matter, not everybody, but most of the people. It has everything to do with getting their agenda and tearing it all down. And he's right. This is, this is exactly what's starting to happen. And the fact that we're told, okay, as long as you get the federal troops out, everything will be good. I, I don't know. Have, have they stopped rioting? I think they've still, they're no, still no, throwing they have, they have, they have not stopped rioting. rioting. So uh, I'm sorry, sorry. They have they not, have not stopped, stopped peacefully, peacefully protesting. Yeah, to your point earlier, we hear a lot of people say, well, the, the federal government shouldn't be there because it's a state's issue. And they're right, except for the fact that they're protecting federal property. Correct. Correct. And federal property, if you won't protect it as the state, the federal government, including Donald Trump or whoever is president, has the right and the obligation to protect that federal property. It's federal property. We've we've heard the equating this to 1861, you know, Fort Sumter being fired on. They were fired on. Nobody was killed on either side for that battle, but that started the Civil War. Why is this different? It was federal property. You've been told to disperse. You've been ordered to disperse, and you continue. I don't care if it's a, a frozen water bottle or whatever it is. You're still attacking a federal property. Well, I mean, and you know, you've got the story with three of the federal agents are potentially permanently blinded because one of the tactics they're using is that they're, they're shooting sort of commercial grade lasers into their eyes. I mean, these people are terrorists. Let's be very clear. These people are criminals and they're terrorists and every single one of them that is shooting commercial grade. I I heard that also like they're sort of mocking, Oh, they're, they've got some fireworks as if they're standing there with sparklers. I, I would challenge any of these, these people on Twitter who are making light of this. You let me shoot um, a, a commercial grade rocket. Okay. One of these fireworks that is designed to go a hundred feet in the air and explode at you from 20 feet away. And we'll see how seriously or not you take that as a threat to your person when, when generally these people are threatened physically by editorials that they don't like. So, um, the idea that any of this is somehow being overstated, that's the other thing. The media simply doesn't show these images anywhere. The only images that they show are the existing peaceful protesters and those people are there. But basically when the witching hour hits after sunset, it is complete mayhem in, in Portland, uh, particularly Portland now is the epicenter for this, but in these other cities where I would challenge any of these people to try and spend, uh, an eight hour shift among a cop out and about with what's going on, these people would pee their pants uh, if they were literally exposed to reality on the street. And you, if you want to find this, it's not hard. There's a lot of independent journalists who are out there who are keeping video records of what is happening. And it looks like a war zone. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's actual, okay, bullets flying, although frankly, there should be. In my, in my view, if you, uh, let's be very plain. If you are going to throw projectiles, bricks, bottles, rocks, whatever it is at law enforcement that have a threat to seriously injure or even kill someone, 
I have no problem with the response being the use of lethal force. None whatsoever. Well, the fact that uh, the moms and some other groups are out there, they've actually sued Trump for using tear gas and rubber bullets, which I think is laughable. You're, you're rioting. It's been declared a riot by the city of Portland, and you're not allowed to do anything to disperse that riot. You're supposed to let it happen until it burns itself out. See, the irony to me is this is happening in Seattle, Portland, and Minneapolis, not to a lesser extent other places, but it's not L.A. and New York right now. That, to me, is very interesting, isn't it? Well, why do you say it's very interesting? Well, when we think about unrest, social unrest, uh, protesting, I don't think of Portland or many. Oh, I do. Well, I mean, I, Portlandia? Are well, you kidding? I don't mean that. I don't mean that. But when the, the historically, the biggest riots are New York and LA, maybe Chicago. But I mean, Chicago's a, a cesspit anyway, with all its other issues. Maybe you just can't tell the difference now between what it normally is and, and this. But Minneapolis is a it just doesn't seem like the right place. Now that's where George Floyd was killed, so maybe that's why it it was an epicenter, but Portland's weird. Seattle's a little weird, but this isn't where I think protesting of, of this level of here's, you know what the explanation is? What's that? If this was going on in New York city, the media couldn't ignore this. Uh, okay, so, and, and believe me, that is a calculation here. I guarantee you, look, the idea that these people are not coordinated, of course they're coordinated. They know exactly what they're doing. And if you are going to actually riot in the middle of New York City in the way that is going on in Portland, and you're going to try to set fire to, let's say, Wall Street or a federal courthouse, or you're going to be burning buildings in Manhattan, there is no way for the resistance vanguard, as much as they would like to, to ignore that. So that is going to be beamed into every home during the, you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock news hour, because that can't be ignored. But if it's going on in Minneapolis, it's going on in Seattle on the West coast, it's going on in Portlandia. Yeah, that's, that's really not something that they can keep that from exploding into a major news story, but you can't do that if it's in the middle of LA or in the middle of New York city. Okay. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. And that makes a lot of sense. And you can control the narrative a little bit better when it's out of the way from the major news media. Okay. So let me um, change a little bit here. So Donald Trump came out today and he's backtracked from this a little bit. I think it's a dog whistle. I don't think it's a serious suggestion, but he talked about putting off the election until it could be safe for everybody to actually go to the polls. Now we've talked about mail order ballots. I think it's a recipe for disaster uh, en masse, and I think you agree with that. Uh, oh, sure. And I think any any fair-minded civic individual cannot be in favor of mail-order ballots for the vast majority of people for a host of reasons. Uh, but do you think he was making that suggestion? Trump tweeted that today. Do you think he's making that suggestion because he wants to see which of the uh, mainstream media will just go crazy over this? Or do you think he actually, I mean, there's no legal way he could do it, but no, he doesn't. Of course he doesn't actually believe it. And, and this was his, in, in some ways, a very clever um, response to all of the mail order ballot 
hysteria. And so his reaction is, well, geez, if you think it's really that serious, right? That's what you're telling the American people. I mean, this is a crisis. We can't possibly go to the polls and good golly, I want people to be safe. Right. You know, you're telling me that, um, if you stand in line and actually try to vote for president, you could die from this pandemic. So you know what? I guess the only sensible thing, because we want to ensure a safe election where people aren't scared to come, I guess we need to push it back. And of course, what he's done now is box them in because he doesn't, like you said, he has no power to do that. He has no intention of doing that. But what he's doing is he's forcing them to confront the logic of their own position in a way that they don't like. So if they say, absolutely not, we have to have the election, I think Trump's going to be great. I'm glad. I'm glad that my opponents agree with me that it's imperative for us to be at the polling places on November 2nd, like we always are. And so what it does is it kind of destroys this mail order ballot initiative, which is predicated on the idea that it's just too unsafe to go to the polls. Well, you know what's more logical than doing nationwide mail-in ballots or their next suggestion, texting in votes to Ryan Seacrest is going to be, well, you know what? Let's put it off until Dr. Fauci says when it's safe. Maybe we should only vote when we have a vaccine. How about that? Well, and I'll stay in power until that happens. Right. Exactly. <laughs> was that was that what you wanted instead? I don't think so. I, I I think it is completely to mess with them. I think he's a master at messing with them. If I legitimately thought he was serious, I would say he's a fool because he has no ability to do this. Uh, now, he's got Congress who would have to make that decision, and we know they can't make a decision on anything fast. So I I think it's just a it's a dog whistle to me to get them and it, the the usual suspects came out of the woodwork to complain and throw their arms. He in the he rings the bell and the dogs come running. They start salivating. Uh, we didn't talk about this last week, and I for reasons I just didn't really want to talk about it. But John Lewis, Representative John Lewis, uh, passed away last week, and he lied in state at the Capitol, and he was buried to, or at his funeral today. Trump did not go. Okay, so I ask, is he a f is he petty because he didn't go, or is he a statesman because he didn't go? Because if we remind people, John Lewis did not go to Trump's inauguration. He also had a sit-in on the Capitol floor when he didn't get his way, you know, in in that uh, adult. Right. Okay. Well, here's here was here's what I would say if we existed in a normal world, which we don't anymore. So if we were actually in a universe that made sense in 2020, my normal advice would be, you know what? I don't really care whether he didn't go to your inauguration. This guy is an icon. And by the way, this guy was also a bare knuckles hyper-partisan for the remaining 40 years of his career as a Democrat in Congress. Okay. And that's fine. It doesn't change the fact that he was an incredibly courageous guy. I think he was, I mean, this guy literally has physical scars from being clubbed and beaten, uh, during the time that he was marching with Martin Luther King. Okay. So a very courageous man. Um, nobody can take that away from him and a, and, a, and really an icon within the civil rights movement. This guy is not a fake civil rights activist like Al Sharpton. This guy was literally putting his life on the line during a time in America when that meant something, where you could still actually be killed and lynched and shot and targeted by fire hoses by racists who didn't want African Americans to share in freedom. All right. So I give him full credit for that. But 
So my or, my advice for Trump, if this was a normal time and place where half of the country hadn't lost their minds because he was president, I would say, you need to stop being petty. Who cares if the guy didn't go to your inauguration? Show up and pay your respects to this man. However, here's what I will say to that. What do you think the reaction would have been had he gone? It would have been blasting him for everything. It would have been, how dare you? Why are you here? You are the leader of white supremacy. You are you are despoiling the, the casket of one of the great men. Remove you and your foul smell. Okay, so so again, he can't win with these people. And that is the guaranteed reaction. Because again, everything that he does is wrong. But in particular, in this case, it would have been, this is an insult. How can this hate monger show up? How dare he show his face during a moment when we are attempting to lionize and celebrate the life of a man that this president despises, right? The headlines and the editorials write themselves. So I actually don't blame Trump for not showing up because not only it's not even about him not getting credit, he would have been viscerally and venomously demonized had he done so. And anyone who doubts that has not been awake for the last three years. So I agree with your first part and I agree with what would have happened in the second part. I think he's a president. I think he should show up. He's been demonized. He will continue to be demonized. He will be uh, the people you say, would would take him to task would be angry would be venomous towards him are going to be anyway i think the, the presidential thing is to show up you, you go to the funeral you pay your respects you leave uh, to me i just so feel like we, i agree I, I agree philosophically but i at this stage i don't blame him for I not bl- i don't blame him but i do feel like He's given these opportunities to seem presidential, but they wouldn't let. But the thing is, they wouldn't let him seem presidential. That's the no, whole point. I, I agree with that. I think they wouldn't let him seem presidential, but for his supporters, who whatever number that is, it, they can say, you know what, he can be petty, he can be thin-skinned, he can be bombastic, but he showed up, and he knew he was going to get abuse, and he still showed up. Whatever else you say, I think that's an image you can't forget. In this is a man he did not like. This is a man who was, you know, philosophically opposed to whatever he's thinking, and you still showed up to show your respect. I'm not saying it would have been a, an easy thing for him to do. He would have had to not talk a lot because he can't do that. But I just feel like it would have been an opportunity because he's getting blasted every day for how he's ha- how he handles anything it's always wrong no matter what he does because he did it here's an opportunity to to be above it to a point knowing yeah i'm gonna get blasted but it's still the right thing to do he didn't do it he didn't even go to the capitol when he was lying in state i think if he didn't want to go to the funeral he at least could have gone to the capitol and had his photo up which is what it would have been anyway or sent pence or some somebody at no Yeah, so we don't really disagree about this. I I, I think it is the principled right thing to do. I guess my only point is that we are at a stage where that act would have never been portrayed, meaning what the general public would have seen would have been distorted to the point where no one would have heard this was presidential. In fact, you think about this. 
had he been there, every mannerism, anything that he did would have been scrutinized. They would have looked for a still shot when he was talking to Melania where he's smiling and the headline would have been Donald Trump laughing at the death of Representative Lewis, right? It, it wouldn't have mattered. They are so over the top uh, corrupt and malign that we are at a stage that, again, in my view, we're to the point where even the principled thing now becomes almost impossible for him. And by the way, I don't discount the fact that he would he could have been acting out of pure petulance. In fact, that's probably why he didn't go. My only point is, even if he had been motivated by a true desire to attend, which I don't think he was, okay, no. with no. Donald Trump, even had he been an honorable guy who really wanted to go, given this environment, I actually, if I was his advisor, I would have told him, don't show up. Don't go. Don't show up, even though in my heart of hearts, and you know that's the right thing to do, there is no possible benefit for you. And this isn't even about political calculation. You doing it will be so twisted and distorted that even your attempt to be magnanimous and to be honorable will be uh, twisted in a way that just makes it better not to be there. I agree with everything you're saying. And, and to be very fair, John Lewis should have showed up for his inauguration. I, I sure, but this isn't about, this is not about tit for tat. No, it's not tit for tat. I don't care if, if you hate whoever's becoming president and you're a member of the government, you show up. Uh, it's, about, it's about the office. It's right. not about the person. Right. And I don't care if you hated Obama, you still show up for the inauguration. Correct. You show up. And I think that that makes both gentlemen look petty in their responses, in my opinion. Neither look statesmanlike. They can, both can you petty. can you imagine what our friend would have written had Donald Trump showed up? Oh, I, mean, yeah. I can I can already pen the blog post, which would have been today Donald Trump had the temerity to show up at the funeral of a man who he hated. And why was he there? And let's remind ourselves that this is a white supremacist, et cetera, et cetera. That would have been the unrelenting narrative. So I guess I should expect him to go, but I really don't. I really don't blame him for uh, not being there. And, and I didn't expect him to go. And I'm saddened by the fact that he wasn't able to put it behind him enough to, to do that. And it wouldn't have brought comfort to anybody on that side. I, I understand that. It's just, it, it would have made me feel like, okay, here's an opportunity you can stand up and go, I'm going to be very honest about this and it doesn't matter what you think one way or the other. It's just the fact that I feel like I constantly, and we've talked about this in the past. I feel like I constantly have to defend Donald Trump and he makes it really hard to defend him sometimes with his actions, not his policies necessarily. Uh, oh, absolutely. Make it really hard. And I find myself being defensive and I'm going, I don't like the man personally. I just really, I'm struggling to defend somebody who, who acts this way constantly. And I understand the opposition side for why they demonize him for some of the things he does not demonize him. Why they, they call him to task for some of the things that including our friend, but I, I just get tired of constantly saying, can't you just for five seconds, not be a boob. Can't you just act like an adult human being instead of this petty narcissistic jerk. And I know sometimes that benefits you, but man, I, I 
I can't no, believe he, he is who he is. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of things about his character and his personality that are very unsavory. There just is. I mean, I, if you asked me, what do I find to be the most off-putting, uh, the most just kind of almost disgusting thing about him is the way that he goes he goes out of his way to pick fights. Yes. Number one with people that all right are like with or just general citizens. Okay, this is the president of the United States. You're lowering yourself to be in some kind of juvenile junior high spite fest with somebody on Twitter. But even more importantly than that, when he actually attacks people who are otherwise loyal to him, for instance, I, I think of Jeff Sessions, right? You're going out of your way to antagonize and belittle a guy who, whether you had some personal issue with him because he recused himself, we all know what happened there. This is this is a guy that is supports you, that is staunchly in your corner in terms of the issues. And because he did something that you didn't like one time, you're going to attack him like he's an enemy of the people. That just is just so um, just kind of contemptible, really. I think that's where I'm coming from. It's it's like if you didn't like Jeff Sessions after he recused himself, why'd you keep him on? You could have fired him right then and there. Why'd you keep him on? It doesn't make any sense. It, it just... And to be, and you know, even with people like Mattis, okay. So, so again, I don't agree with what General Mattis said about uh, Trump's conduct when they removed the. Again, let's just let's trademark this: the peaceful protesters from around. Uh, I think it's St. John's Church, right? And Mattis basically said the president's being divisive. Okay, but you know what, James Mattis is one of the literal in the flesh living warriors the, one of the great men in terms of military service the things that he has done uh and sacrificed to defend this country and you're going to now fire back at him because he said these things i mean again how small are you if you are in a position of leadership you should we've talked about this before you should want people surrounding you who are not going to be toadies, who are not going to always want to kiss the hem of your garment and pat you on the back. By the way, you know who was surrounded by people like that? Give me guess who I'm thinking of, Chad. B.O. That would be correct. That was never actually noticed by the press. But you want to talk about someone who surrounded himself with nothing but like-minded sycophants. That was Barack Obama. Donald, then that is a terrible character flaw. Donald Trump has exactly the same flaw. The reason it's noticed now is because the media hates him with the passion of a thousand sons. But nevertheless, it's legitimate to point out that that is a very weak-minded individual who demands complete abject agreement from those around him, as opposed to you're a friend an advisor who I respect, I want the unvarnished truth from you. And you know what? If you disagree with me as a leader, ultimately it's my decision, but I really value people who can speak openly to me and provide different perspectives. Donald Trump wants none of that. He just uh, doesn't. That is, that's a character flaw and that's a leadership flaw. I mean, that shouldn't be the case. You, you don't know everything. Uh, you have advisors for a reason and they, if they give you what you want to hear, they're not really advising you in every situation. So that brings up, you know, we 
we kind of dance around the issue of the uh, election coming. It sounds like uh, on Saturday, maybe uh, Biden's going to announce his VP. Oh, goody. And I've been, I've been tossing and turning, losing sleep, waiting for the announcement. Apparently two days ago, there was a press release announcing Kamala Harris, but it's dated Saturday. So, you know, maybe it's premonition. Maybe it's something they put together for all the leading candidates, Stacey Abrams and um, Butterfield. By the way, so what do you think the chances are that Joe has one of his uh, catatonic fugue moments and actually says the wrong person? That's got to have. So he, he's got the teleprompter, the grand announcement. And I would like to announce that my vice president is carrot top, right? Who knows? Who knows what he's going to say? <laughs> Dog face pony soldier. Uh, or gets her name wrong, right? Yes. My no, uh, vice president is Emmy Lou Harris. Emmy Lou Harris. And, and then you got the, the aide like whispering on stage. That's a, that's a country music singer. It's, it's Kamala Harris. That's right. Franco Harris is my vice presidential can't. No, no. It's uh, just read the cue cards, read the cue cards. Can you read, sir? Uh, I, I think she hits two of his criteria, but her baggage is extreme. She's a black woman. That's the criteria he's set up, oh, apparently. You're right. You phrased that in a way that suggested there was other criteria. There are no other criteria. But there should be. There should be other criteria. I don't know what. She failed to excite the electorate when she was running for president. So you're going to put her on the ticket saying, this is somehow going to complete me as a ticket? I, I don't no, see what she's completing him as a ticket. First of all. We know that by the time, you know, the election actually rolls around, I, I mean, he may actually have embalming fluid coursing through his veins. So um, she is there for one reason and one reason only. She's a woman and she's African-American. The end. It doesn't matter. And of course, and she's a leftist, which but that's a given because they're all leftists, including Joe, who who is supposedly a moderate. And yet every one of his public statements indicates that he's fully on board with Bernie Sanders, Venezuelan economic theories, and he wants a four trillion dollar tax increase. And of course, he's got AOC running his environmental policy. So he is nothing but a mouthpiece for this kooky agenda. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what they needed. They needed, let's be clear, skin pigment, gender, and leftist ideology. That's all that matters. Then she checks all the boxes. Uh, I, I don't think she, did you see there's a, I don't know if sometimes poll today, but there was some uh, media talking about the fact that yes, shockingly, the Democrats still run uh, the coasts. Flyover country is still leaning towards uh, Donald J. Trump. It, it, does that surprise no, you? No, the headline somewhere? It, it, well, because you see the polls saying, oh, well, you know, Biden's leading Trump nationwide. Eh, not necessarily. I mean, I, yeah, I think maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. Nobody knows. Uh, we'll we'll find out. Find out. OK, I there's a hey, listen. Uh, this is yet another uh, unusual event that I have a topic I have a topic that I want to discuss. Go right ahead. The topic is, and we've talked about this before, hydroxychloroquine. (laughs) And the reason I want to talk about this Mm -hmm. is because the ongoing 
not attempt, but actual suppression of information about this drug has gotten to the point now where it actually is stunning to even me. And so what am I talking about? Well, if you remember, Donald Trump months ago uh, touted the the potential benefits of, we'll call it HCQ, because it's annoying to keep saying hydroxychloroquine. And of course, the immediate reaction from the resistance was, this is outrageous. He's suggesting you use Eye of Newt to treat COVID. It's untested. It's unproven. It'll kill you. He's It's actually fish tank cleaner, et cetera. And so because he recommended it, and Dr. Fauci at the time said something like, well, the evidence is anecdotal. There hasn't been clinical trials, et cetera, some mealy mouth statement, that it has now been the mission of our gatekeepers to make it clear that HCQ is no good. It's uh, castor oil, deadly castor oil for the lemmings. And it must be, anyone who favors it is a crank and must be silenced. Now, this has gotten to the point where if anyone does any research on this, okay, it is now accepted in multiple countries, studies that have been done by not Sean Hannity, not Tucker Carlson in their basement. These are epidemiologists who are world-renowned, and there are now literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of patients who have been treated with this regimen who have had incredibly good results, uh, who have who have been tested positive. Now, to be clear, is it a cure? No. Is it a magic bullet? No. Are there people that have been given this medication and they haven't recovered at all? Absolutely. But here's the point. There was an organization, there is an organization called American Frontline Doctors, okay? These are legitimate, licensed emergency medicine people. They're virologists. They're emergency room surgeons. They're epidemiologists. Again, these people are not made up. And their entire mission is to present the American public. Remember, these are not theoreticians. These are not people like Dr. Fauci who actually haven't put a stethoscope on someone in probably three decades. They are there every day and every night treating people on the front line who are potentially going to die from this virus. And so they had some things to impart to the American public as doctors. Here's what we see. Here's what we recommend. Well, their mistake was that one of the things that they are recommending because they are actually giving it to their own patients who are recovering is HCQ. They gave a 47-minute presentation that was scientifically driven, chock full of data, first-person accounts of how this has worked. And Chad, don't spoil the ending. What happened to their, uh, their video presentation? Taken off the air, and if you read any articles today, every one of those doctors was summarily critiqued and questioned on, on the mainstream media. I saw a USA Today article about it. They went through each doctor. One, uh, Ismail Call said there's something about demons, sperm, or aliens, or something. They basically discredited every single one of those people and called into question. They said, well, they do have a medical license in the state in which they practice. Well, that would make them doctors, right? Uh, right. So they're all, all of these people, all of these people are supposedly quacks. Right. And not only that, consider the fact that the people that are questioning them have no medical training whatsoever, right? 
the, these these bumpkins who went to journalism school who are now what do these people possibly know but but think through again the mendacity of this yeah. let's assume let's assume that you believe because you've read other studies that hcq isn't all it's cracked up to be fair enough why wouldn't you at least present the fact that you can present the whole story guess what there was a va study which there was where right. a lot of people were given hcq and it didn't really do much for them at all. Now, one of the unwritten facets of that study was the people that were given the HCQ were very far along in the disease cycle, and they were already experiencing what is known as the cytokine storm in their respiratory system, which every one of these doctors who uses this medication has said, if you get to that stage, it's too late. This is a prophylactic thing that has to be given immediately or soon thereafter when there are symptoms or there is a positive test. But again, here's the point. Think about this. The media is actually trying to prevent American citizens from knowing about a drug that multiple, I mean, we're talking hundreds, if not thousands of doctors across the globe have said, this is saving people's lives and they're not even willing to let the American people and their own doctors decide, no, no, this will be suppressed. This information will not be shared. I actually have a partner who works with me at my law firm, and this person has is, is in a significantly high-risk category. She had never heard about this drug, and we were talking about her condition and the, the precautions that she has been taking, and I said, are you familiar with hydroxychloroquine? What is that? Never heard about it. And so I sent her primary source material, including the Henry Ford study, which is a peer-reviewed study of 2,500 patients who were administered this drug, and the reduction in fatalities was 50%. Okay, Again, this is not something that I got off of Laura Ingram's program. This is the Henry Ford Hospital System, a peer-reviewed study of over 2,500 patients. No one has ever heard of this. No one knows about this because this is to be buried. How wicked do you have to be? How obsessed with the bad orange man that you are going to lengths to prevent people from knowing about a drug that could potentially... Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but I would think they should know about it could potentially save their life if they contract this virus. It, this is possibly the most disgusting thing that I have ever observed in terms of the corruption of our media. It is, it is beyond despicable. And you have to say that in the Daffy Duck voice. Despicable. Uh, I think it, tomorrow they'll do something worse. I think this is horrible. And well, I, they, well, of course they will. I agree with you. I think it, it becomes a question of why are they doing this? Is it because they think it helps them politically? No, they, you know, you know why Donald Trump has said he, he supports it. They oppose it. And, and, and here's the thing. If the drug is seen as being effective, cause who would want that? Who would want the news that Americans lives have been saved by taking this medication? That would be terrible because it might redound to the benefit of the Kaiser. And we just can't have that, particularly in the run-up to an election. I mean, this the 
the cynic, the ghoulish cynicism of this is beyond description. I read something today that in Ohio, the Ohio Board of Pharmacy, okay, whatever unelected bureaucrats these people are, have issued an edict that pharmacists are not permitted to dispense HCQ to treat COVID. And the reason I saw this is because who's the governor? Mike DeWine? Uh, I think so. I don't or maybe, the, I don't he requested that the that they revisit their edict yes. because this medicine. So again, think about think about what that what they are saying. These are not even okay, these are not even medical professionals. These are maybe some of them are, but I don't think they are. At a minimum, they're not doctors. Correct. And what they're saying is, we don't care if your licensed specialist has told you, you need to get on this medication because you could die from COVID. And in my professional medical estimation, this is your best chance. And this board has said, if you're a pharmacist, you can't give them the medicine. Don't give it to them. See that? I know a little bit about this from a pharmacy's perspective. A pharmacist can get the doctor to change a medication if they give them a reason and the doctor chooses to do so. The pharmacist cannot deny you a medication unless they come up and say, well, you're taking this, so if you take this thing, they interact, and that's bad for you. They exactly. There has to be potentially like fatal contraindications. And Chad, am I correct? From a legal standpoint, what the pharmacist is, at least in Pennsylvania, is tasked with doing is you have an obligation to inform mm -hmm. the customer. Are you aware, you need to be aware that these are the drug interactions that could go on. These are the side effects. By the way, they actually don't even have to do that because the patient there's a question and you'll see this if you go to the, your right aid where it says, do you wish to consult with the pharmacist? If you say no, the pharmacist at that point is not obligated to affirmatively tell you everything about this drug. But if you ask, the pharmacist should say, yeah, you know what? If you're taking this in combination with that, there's a black box warning and you need to be very careful. There's been fatalities or whatever, but they, they are not in a position to overrule a doctor. Well, PhD doesn't mean medical doctor, and therefore they don't have the right. They dispense the medication. That's your job. I, I in a certain way, I equate this kind of to uh, notaries. Uh, when you go to get your notarization done, the whole job of the notary is to say that you are the person signing this document. So they verify with your identification that you are the person. That's it. But there's a lot of notaries who think they're lawyers. And I'd like right. to give advice on what you sign. No, 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 no. You verify that I am signing this document that my ID matches up to what I'm doing. That's it. Same thing with pharmacists is my, in my understanding. You fill the prescription. If you think there's a medical reason why this shouldn't be filled, you consult the doctor. If the doctor says, I want you to have this, and the patient wants it, and they're either willing to pay for it or their insurance covers it, you're done. You don't get to decide what treatment is used. You're basically performing a ministerial function at that point. You right. are, as you said, dispensing a medication. And by the way, you want to guarantee that you're going to get sued as a pharmacist. You go ahead and tell a patient, you need to disregard what the doctor told you and not take this medicine. And then that person dies. Yeah. Um, you're in big trouble. 
Well, so, you, you, so this, so literally, Chad, this is a statewide board who is prohibiting the medical use of this drug. Uh, it's it's absolutely mind boggling. It, it should be mind boggling, but people overstep all the time. And this, at least in the state of Pennsylvania, that's above the license of a pharmacist. They are licensed in the state of Pennsylvania. I assume they are in most states, if not all states. That you are not a doctor. You are not a medical doctor. You do not get to make medical decisions, and you don't have all the information that will allow you to make a, a legitimate medical decision. You have a prescription, and whatever records have been shared with you to, to fill that prescription, and that's it. You're making a half guess at best, and I agree with you. This is it's crazy that this should even be happening anywhere. It, it shouldn't be happening. Period. But it is. Yeah, it's uh, so I guess the message to anyone listening to this is if you are concerned about COVID, if you're in a high risk category, first of all, do your own research, sure. consult with your own doctors. But if anyone tells you, oh, by the way, HCQ, it's a bunch of quackery, stay away from it, um, that is bunk. Now, you need to make your own decisions in conjunction with your own doctors. And I'm not saying that. Again, it, you deserve the opportunity to access that medication if you, in conjunction with your medical providers, believe that that gives you the best chance of dealing with this disease. It's that simple. Yeah. And why anyone would think that it's appropriate to silence people, people who are experts in the field, from sharing their professional opinion and expertise about this is... Uh, again, I, I really can't process how perverse it is. What's going on? Uh, it's, it's just amazing. But every day, tomorrow's another day. I'm sure they'll come up with something else that'll amaze you in a bad way. Let's finish on on a sports note. Um, I notice you're not watching the NBA right now. <laughs> Wait, you notice who's not watching the NBA? Either of us <laughs> right now. <laughs> I can guarantee you that I will not watch a single NBA game. Is it because of the uh, messages they're going to have on their uniforms? Is it because the Chinese academies were abusing uh, students there? That it's really become a combination of things for me. And we've talked about this before. I, again, I was a very, very avid uh, basketball fan and, and still am in many ways uh, for most of my teen and adult life. A lot of that was driven by the fact that, you know, Jordan was my, my favorite athlete, but I mean, I watched all the games. Okay. It didn't just happen to be, well, I only watched the bulls. Um, I've been increasingly less interested in the NBA probably for the last decade, uh, partially because the game itself, the style of play has become unwatchable. I can't stand it. The, you know, the analytics driven, all we do is shoot threes and, or, and, or, you know, foul shots, the no defense. And, and then again, yes, the, the suffocating bludgeoning, we're now a bunch of wokesters who are more interested in politics than playing. I, I just can't stand it. There, there's no player in the league that captivates me in a way where I have to watch them like Jordan did. And that includes LeBron. In fact, frankly, I, I fully recognize that LeBron is one of the five or six greatest players ever, but in terms of watching him play, I find him to be uh, just his game does not appeal to me. So th there's nobody in the league really that I would say I got to, this is a appointment viewing for me, right? I got to watch them. 
Um, and, and so, yeah, I've, I've been so completely alienated by this nonsense where on, on the one hand, they're claiming to be these social justice warriors and the hypocrisy related to China that I'm, I'm just done. I, I, I really, I don't miss it. I have no desire to watch it. And so I won't be. I won't either. And just the Chinese academies just reinforced what I was already going to do. I don't want to be, I don't want to be woke scolded into some sort of movement. I don't want to be told over and over again by people who I think are very talented at playing a sport, but in, for most part, not every one of them, but for the most part, most of them have no clue what's going on in the real world. Uh, not, not just because they're in a bubble right now, but because they're literally in a bubble all the time, uh, isolated from all this stuff. Uh, I, I don't miss sports at the moment. Uh, Football season is coming. I will be bummed if the NFL season is canceled, and I fully expect that it's going to be. I, I do too. I, I, I think that baseball has shown this week uh, they don't know what they're doing. Um, I, I fully expect that they won't get sixty games of baseball in. Uh, I think the NBA might get their games in because they're in isolation in a bubble and there's nobody there anyway. I will be fascinated to see what the ratings are for the NBA. I think they are going to be abysmal. Well, I, I think they're the they're the biggest thing on, but I don't know that they're they're as big as they think they are. No, they're not. They're and, not at all. I again, let's just see. I predict the ratings are going to be in the toilet. Well, here's the problem. What do you compare them to? I mean, what do you compare them to? We've never had basketball outside of the Olympics in July or August. So you have nothing historically to compare them to for a season of the year. And if the ratings are bad, say, well, it's summer and people aren't sitting down watching TV. They won't take the blame for the product. They'll, they'll blame the time of year or the other events. Or, you know, I, I, I think there's going to be a building excuse. This is a time when people aren't expected to watch basketball. And if they're really good, they'll say, see, we're the only thing on. It was great for us to be out there to, to, reunite the country in sports, whatever it is, they'll find an excuse to, to pull up. Well, and I, I also think that, and this, we talked about, this is true for all the sports playing in essentially empty gymnasiums and stadiums that has a major impact on the viewing experience. I mean, sports are meant to be experienced with thousands of fans screaming, cheering, uh, just creating that sort of atmosphere of competition and a bunch of guys running around in an empty gym wearing their social justice slogans. It, it's going to seem like a YMCA pickup game with, except with the best players in the world, but it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, now I don't know whether they're going to do what I saw. I noticed on the baseball game that I, I watched a bit of a, uh, I think it might've been the nationals game where they were, they were pumping in yeah. crowd noise right? Because I was showing one of my sons, I said, look at the stands. There's nobody there, but it sounds like you've got that background noise. Like you're in the first game of the world series. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what that's like for the few people that are at the game. That must be really bizarre. Bizarre. Well, didn't Fox also try to put in some three-dimensional cartoon type characters to make the stadium look like there was people in it, but it was jarring. It was <laughs> all what, like the whole stadium is filled with Jar Jar Binks. Well, no, they, they took like, I get whatever they spent. They, they went and they scanned all the stadiums and then they tried to proportionally place Sims characters effectively in the stands. 
but it was duplicates. And that makes it worse. That's worse. I thought they were going to, here's what I thought they said they were going to, we're going to put in holograms. I thought they were going to scan real people and have them show up on the video, uh, you know, doing, you know, whatever they, they did a fake wave at a giants Dodgers game, which they were like, well, the Dodgers never do the wave or the giants never do. It. I don't know which one uh, it, it just, it's off putting and they're trying to make it better, but it, it's just not. And I, I but think here's what I don't get. It wouldn't be all that difficult. Okay. Again, we're, we're going by the prevailing social distancing, wearing masks. You know how many seats are in your stadium? You know where people would have to sit to maintain six feet of separation and wear masks. Why would it be difficult at all to set up the stadium in a way you can actually fold up all the seats that can't be used and you sell the number of tickets? Okay, so let's say uh, what's a typical baseball game? I would bet the attendance is usually in a major league baseball stadium on a given regular season game. It's probably what, around like 30,000? Probably. For a- okay. So let's say you can only let in 10,000 people. Why don't you sell 10,000 tickets? You, you limit the supply and the 10, the first 10,000 people that, well, first of all, it's not the first, there's only 10,000 tickets available. Those people show up, they have their masks on, you do whatever other protocols you want to take their temperature. And then you have them sit in the designated areas. There's no concession stands, or if there are, they have to stand just like you go now at a Burger King or whatever. Why is that not feasible? I don't understand that. I don't know why it's not feasible other than they decide not to do it. And I don't know if there's a rationale because it sounds like football is going to have no fans. Now you may be able to get that, get away with that, the pros. Maybe I think college. But I just read, I read there's a college. I, I forget what big 10 school it was that were maybe it was Ohio state. I don't know that were saying they expect somewhere around 10 to 15,000 fans at the game. Well, it's a far cry from the full capacity, but it's still something I guess. Yeah. I, I am not confident that, the NBA. Well, I think the NBA will finish out whatever they're doing here. I don't even know how many games it's going to be. I think the NHL will not finish. I think Major League Baseball will not finish. I think if football gets started, and if you look at the calendar, August 1st is Saturday, and we're supposed to play football games by the end of that month, and I do not see that happening. I, I think the college- well, I think that the games are going to start. My prediction is that the minute that you start, there's going to be, oh, you know, there's 13 players on the Cowboys that have tested positive. And so once those numbers get to any level that, and the media will be shrieking about it, there's going to be so much political pressure that you got to shut this down that I predict the season lasts about a month. I think they get one game in, if, if that. I don't think they get anything. And I think the fact that here's the irony to me. So the big 10 is going to play conference games only. Well, I think the SEC just announced that too. That's what they said today. Uh, the ACC is going to play in conference except for Notre Dame. I'm confused. What's the difference if you play, if Notre Dame plays South Carolina or South Carolina plays Clemson? Hmm. Good question. You obviously are a science denier. There's really no reason for you to ask that. I, I mean, if if it's okay for the 100 plus, well, probably 200 people coming from Notre Dame to play in South Carolina, why can't Clemson just come over to South Carolina and play? 
it's the same 200 people. I'm not really sure what I'm missing. Uh, it just seems like we're making, again, we're making arbitrary rules. Of course. Good. But to what end? The I, NFL's I, protocol, giant men on every play, smashing into each other, breathing heavily. But, but to be safe, there will be no jersey exchanges after the game. <laughs> right? I mean, this awesome. is the kind of stuff we're talking about. See, here's the thing. NFL is allowing you to opt out, get 150 grand, 350 grand, depending on what your condition is. If you opt out and you don't, you get still get a year of you get a year of service for not actually serving. That's that's the interesting part. Uh, but what's that mean? I mean, what do you mean? What does it mean? Well, it's just the fact that at what point are you putting in um, replacement players? No, well, that, I mean, that's also a very good point because of their protocols. And I think that's also going to happen. You're going to get so many guys that are going to have to be quarantined. And I think, I forget what the, the minimum time away is, but maybe it's a week. Maybe it's two weeks. I, I forget the, the CDC is 10 days now. Right. But the point is that they already have cut down rosters to begin with. Um, yeah, you're going to be at the stage where it's the replacements. They're going to be looking for Keanu Reeves to come in, um, cause he has heart to lead whoever it is that now no longer has anybody on their depth chart. So right. Right, it's, it's, it's a double problem. It's the political pressure that will come to bear, but then you're not going to be able to put a, a roster together. No, you, you'll have, you'll have bodies probably, but what's the quality of the skill sets are going to bring? Because I'm starting to see now Certain teams haven't had anybody opt out, but the Chiefs did. Patriots have five guys. Patriots, I mean, at including what, some pretty good players, including like Donta Hightower. Right. I think you're just saying, okay, we're going to have something because we want to have something. And the laundry is going to be out there that shows your favorite team, but you're not going to recognize most of the players because they're at home collecting their. Well, I'm not there for the players. I'm there for the social justice slogans. So I, it doesn't really matter to me. All for you. NBA or bust for you. That is right. I I feel like now here's my thinking. If they stop if they don't play football and we're another year before we play football again, uh, I will probably come back if it comes back, but how many people won't? And and honestly, you're not watching basketball right now. If it went to a full schedule in November and December, full next season, would you watch it? Or are you going to go, eh, I didn't miss it. I'm okay. Well, again, for me, if you're asking me, or you're asking generally, I don't know what people are going to do. I already wasn't watching really that much basketball. Um, you know, I would watch the the playoffs, some of the playoffs, the NBA finals. I think the NFL fans will come back. Here, here's the reason they won't come back is if they persist on this suicidal, we're going to have two national anthems, we're going to have slogans, but the slogans are not going to be permitted to support police, right? Again, one of these completely inexplicable, almost insane business decisions by a league that is so profitable, they are impervious to pressure, okay? There's nothing that any group of rabid, you know, we're going to boycott the, go ahead. You people don't watch the NFL anyway. All right. So the league is in a position just like the masters. Remember when the masters, uh, who was it? Martha Burke, who was threatening 
the whole thing because women couldn't be members and and she was threatening that we're gonna we're gonna go after all of your your advertisers. And what did the masters do? Do you remember? I don't remember what they did, but it went away. What the masters did was they said, Oh, well, you know what? We really don't want you bothering our advertisers. So we're just gonna put on the masters by ourselves. We're not going to actually run any advertisers. We have enough money and enough power. We're just going to put the program on all by ourselves. So the NFL is in the same position. And not only that, the NFL of all the major sports, their fan base is, is their most loyal, vocal, rabid fan base is red state America. Okay. It is patriotic people, military people, blue collar. I understand that's a generalization. There's people that, you know, are the head of gender studies faculties who like the NFL. But for the most part, at least 50% of your most loyal fans are going to be people that are conservative, that are not working on uh, in the Ivy League. They're not in the media, right? And so why would you go out of your way to do something? Because here's the thing. You don't have to do anything. All Roger Goodell has to do is say, you know what? We're not about politics. We don't have slogans on our uniforms. Uh, we don't, we're not playing two, three, seven national anthems. Uh, the players are free to support whatever political causes they want. If there are certain players that want to kneel, okay. We play the Star Spangled Banner. We play football. We don't do anything else. How difficult it is, is it, to make that statement? It's, it's a no-brainer. And yet they seem to be aligning themselves with the same stuff that the NBA is doing. I, 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 for the life of me, for a bunch of guys who are billionaires who run that league, who are, are very interested in the Gordon Gecko mantra that greed is good. Why they would be permitting them to go on this kamikaze mission is, is just, I, I don't understand it. Do you have any explanation for that? Uh, <clears throat> they're, Majority of their workforce is black, so therefore they feel they have to respond because they've been tone deaf before. That's, but I don't. They don't have to. I mean, if they don't you're have to do anything, if you're a six foot eight, four hundred pound man, and you play football. Where are you going also going to play football and make money? You don't have another place to go. Well, and but, but plus, you can go yeah, exactly. Across. What are they going to do? You're going to quit? I guess you're going to quit, but you're not going anywhere else to play. That's you know, Malcolm sure. Jenkins. Is he going to go play in Europe? I mean, it's it's just absurd the way that they are bowing to what amounts to a bunch of hecklers on Twitter. Yeah. It, it, it's astonishing. Oh, and the final NFL point that we should talk about. Sure. I think you know this. What is going to be the name for this season of the Washington Redskins? Because remember, Washington I, I, I'm probably now going to have uh, some biased response team show up at my house for saying Redskins, but I will continue to say Washington Redskins because that's the name of the team. However, they've decided they can no longer be called that. But do you know, Chad, what the official name of the team for this season will be? Washington Football Club. Washington Football Team. Oh, is it team? It's not club? Yes. Oh, sorry. So it sounds just as generic as. That way is the Washington football team. Wow. And so I just, I can't wait for the play by play. What, what are the, you know, cause normally it's, and the Steelers are on the 15, it's second and right. what, how are you going to do the play by play? The uh, Washington, you're going to have to say the Washington football team every time the Washington football team uh, is throwing deep. <laughs> the Washington football team has just scored a touchdown. I guess, I guess what that's going to be. 
Well, or you're going to say you're going to call it club. You're going to call it Washington FC, whether they like it or not. You know, I, I, it's a dumb name and it seemed like Dan Snyder suddenly bowed to pressure at the last minute and didn't have a plan. And I'm not sure exactly why suddenly, because correct me if I'm wrong, but the protests for black lives matter have nothing to do with the name Redskin. Well, but it's all it's all part and parcel of the same thing. My whole position on the Washington Redskins thing is again, it's a private team; they can do what they want. Although, of course, the you know Dan, Dan Snyder is a, a member of an owner, you know, all the owners in the league. But everything that I've read about this, and this is true, is that uh, the inconvenient fact for all of these perpetually outraged people is almost all of the Native Americans when they're asked about this don't care. Yep. In fact, Rick Riley, who is, I don't know, you know who Rick Riley is? Yep. A former SI columnist, really talented guy, one of the deans of sports writing, a very woke dude. But he actually wrote a column probably five years ago, maybe seven years ago. No, probably five or less, where he went and interviewed a number of Native American tribes people, leaders of these tribes, and asked them about the Redskins. One of the things he found was not only did they not think it was offensive, many of the Native American schools had Redskins as their team names. <laughs> but somehow, because there's a group of Beltway, Ivy-educated, perpetually guilty white people, and that's exactly who it is, who have decided, well, this is just horrible. This is too offensive. And I don't really care whether Native Americans aren't offended. They need to be offended. We're going to sh- explain to them why they should be offended. This is now driving the change in the name. Do I really care? No, I don't care. They can call themselves whatever they want. But yeah. the silliness of this uh, really can't be overstated. Yeah, I mean, you're a Colts fan, so what do they care? You don't care about Redskins or Washington football team. I am now a Colts fan. That is correct. I'm still a Chargers fan, but if you ask me who would I root for if the Colts played the Chargers in the playoffs, it's the Colts. Yeah, well, Joey Bosa just got a huge deal. So 135 million for five years. Go figure. 102, 102 million guaranteed. Well, not Patrick Mahomes' money, but I'd take it. Well, he's not a quarterback. <laughs> I know. If he got if he the- played both ways as defensive end and quarter quarterback, then I think he would deserve more than Mahomes. Well, yes, because he would play two positions. Yes. So that's all I've got tonight. Do you have anything else you need? We have done more than enough, as usual. Well, we always try to do just a little bit more than we're supposed to, just in case. If there's anything we need to cut later. So thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. This has been a Hannah Tree production.